uh, family. People are watching us online. Uh, can we get ourselves together, please? Can we, you know, pull it together? Amen. <laughs> well, just a couple of things. Um, as I walked around during the nine o'clock hour this morning, and I saw children meeting, and I saw students meeting, and I saw adults meeting, two classes for adults. Um, just so glad that Acts 2.42 is continuing to be experienced, and that is the early church continued in the apostles' teaching. Now, we've always taught during this season, but as far as small group interaction, especially face-to-face, um, -face, iron sharpening iron, bearing one another's burdens, it was just so good to see interaction again. And uh, last month was Black History Month, and I forgot to share something with you. Um, there was a section in the Williamson Herald uh, in honor of Black History Month, and two of our folks, well, maybe three, including me, uh, Alina Bell was in this article for her work with the school board. And Jessica Butler with, with her work as an attorney, uh, Deacon Jesse's daughter, she's also in this. And there's a story on the Fuller story. So these are out in the foyer here. They are free for you to pick up. So many great things are going on in the city of Franklin where I live and where Strong Tower began. And then on Wednesday night when we gathered um, for Bible study, we also talked about huddle groups, another opportunity for us to get together. Um, huddle groups, for those who may not know, these are, are our small groups. And we get together uh, that we might encourage one another, and again, hold one another up, learn together. And so for many of you who are extroverts, this is perfect for you, but it's also perfect for introverts because you don't have to say anything, okay? Uh, but the leaders will try to pull some things out of you. Uh, but, but if you would like to become a part of our huddle groups, I'm going to leave these sheets here. Uh, sign up and leave them on the stage, and we will formulate our groups. And uh, after Doreen and I leave Bible study this week, uh, you'll have 45 minutes in small groups to just hang out and get to know each other. And so, uh, good time. So, after church, if you need to be in a small group, whether you are a member of this church or not, because some of you are on the process of becoming a member, or you're trying to, you know, discern if this is the place for you. And I hope that you just don't let Sunday morning be the only criteria for which you are trying to discern if Strong Tower is the church for you, but that you'll get to know some people as well. Uh, because God has something for you not only to receive, but also to give. Well, before I preach this morning, I've asked a man of God to come and pray for me. Um, this man of God has been attending Strong Tower since 2021, coming from Murfreesboro. He's a pastor, uh, been through some things, he and his family. And Strong Tower has been a place where they can heal. Um, I won't tell his story because one day um, I'm going to have him come preach whatever God puts on his heart. But uh, hopefully he'll share a little bit of his story. Because as he was preaching the gospel in his church in Murfreesboro, there were many who were preaching the gospel of partisan politics in his church. And uh, they didn't like the fact that the, the pastor preached the word of God as opposed to getting behind a political party. 
And so uh, because of the tension and the stress on him and his family, he decided to resign. And, uh, and so he and his family and others have been at Strong Tower um, healing, being encouraged. But I want you to know that um, the times I've spent with this man, um, the hand of God is on him. I look forward to growing with him in the kingdom and in the things of God. And uh, we had lunch together this past week. And again, I just marvel. He's a counselor as well. And, uh, and, and next thing I know, he, he was ministering to me while we were eating a little barbecue. And uh, I said, man, would you pray for me this Sunday before I preach? And he said, absolutely. So family, this is Brother John Kiever. Would you come, my man, and pray for me? Thank you, brother. And say whatever you want to say. If you have something on your heart. My family's been here since uh, just before Easter of last year. And, you know, the COVID has been so hard. But I have to say, uh, we needed to hide behind masks and social distancing for a while and just heal. And uh, it's been a hard, hard season for us. Um, but one of the things that I've discovered is that can't hide from the Spirit of God. He will find you. <laughs> and um, he is the spirit of comfort. And that's what we've experienced here in this community, family. Uh, this has been our home. Uh, this is where we have been safe. And I can't tell you a Sunday where it wasn't clear to us that God was speaking directly to our hearts. Even this morning, pastor said, would you pray? I said, yes. Immediately, the Spirit of God put Psalm 63 in my mind. So I'm going to have to pray it again, even though we read it already, Amen. as I pray for this brother. So would you pray with me? Oh, God, you are our God. <laughs> Earnestly we seek you. Our souls, they thirst for you. Our bodies long for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We've seen you in the sanctuary. My God. My God. We've beheld your power in your glory and because your loving kindness is better than life our lips praise you our father we ask you this morning thank you jesus that your spirit would continue this work as we dive into your holy scripture as we hear as your spirit ministers to our hearts would you take this two-edged sword and cut us not to wound but to heal May you fill my brother, my pastor, my friend, full of grace and truth. Help me, God. Bring the anesthesia and the scalpel and heal our hearts. And for those of us that are listening this morning, Father, would you help us by means of your spirit to not merely be hearers of your word and so deceive ourselves, but to be doers. And for me, Father. <laughs> Thank you, Through God. my eyes of privilege, would you help me to see truth? And with the ears of privilege that I wear, would you help me to hear truth? And with this heart of privilege, would you prick it and allow your kindness to lead me to repentance? Mm -hmm. Father, we need you. Mm -hmm. We don't do this on our own. My God. And so speak through my brother. Speak through my pastor. Fill him with your spirit to deliver the word that you have for us. Ask all these things in the precious name. The precious name 
of our Savior who lived, died, and rose again for Thank us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Jeremiah chapter 38, the Old Testament book of Jeremiah chapter 38. I'll begin reading at verse 7. And the Bible says, now Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil, and all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no bread in the city. Verse 10, then the king commanded Abed-Melech the Ethiopian saying, take 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Abed-Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from there old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Abed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and old rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the pr prison. Well, with your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, let's talk briefly on the subject of the gift of Jeremiah's black friend. The gift of Jeremiah's black friend. One of the things I love about Strong Tower is that not only are we a multiracial, multicultural church, but we are blessed to be a multi-generational church as well. Uh, we've got young people and we've got some older people here. Notice I didn't say old people, <laughs> older. And we've got some folks who remember the 60s and some folks who lived through the 70s. Well, as I speak to that older crowd today, I, I want to call up a song that was a big hit in 1969. And it was a song that was sang by a group called The Hollies. The Hollies had a couple of hits, and one of their hits was, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. Do, do some of y'all remember that song in the house? Some of y'all go back that far to 1969. Well, on YouTube, if you were to pull that song up, there are over 23 million views of that song and many other versions of the song, one sang by Neil Diamond, also, Elton John participated in that song. And, and here's how the lyrics go. The road is long with many a winding turn that leads us to who knows where. But I'm strong, strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy. 
He's my brother. So on we go. His welfare is of my concern. No burden is he to bear. We'll get there. For I know he would not encumber me. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. And as the brothers put a few more pictures up on the screen um, that illustrate that song, he ain't heavy, bad English, but good living. He's my brother. This song and even um, this title was used to encourage our troops because during this time, the country was in the Vietnam War. And many black men and white men and brown men were fighting um, for this country in a war that still leaves many people scratching their heads about what that war was all about. But they developed a mantra, for those of you in the military, about not leaving a man behind. So if a man is wounded or if a woman is wounded in battle, you don't leave them. You pick them up with the fireman's carry. You carry them to safety wherever you are going because that person is not heavy. That person is your brother. And the thing about war is you don't care what color the person is next to you when you're in a foxhole trying to shoot the enemy. You only care that that person next to you is shooting in the same direction. War has a way of promoting brotherhood in a way that civilian life does not do, unfortunately. And so this song was used to encourage soldiers and now even to encourage us because there's something about the message that resonates with our hearts. Not only should we not leave someone behind, we are people that don't want to be left behind ourselves. And so he ain't heavy, she ain't heavy, he, she is my brother. And what we've seen through social media and through news outlets with the war that's going on in Ukraine is that we're seeing images of bombings, we're seeing images of people fleeing. Uh, and one of the images I saw last week really encouraged my soul. And that was um, a group of U Ukrainian people had captured a Russian soldier and they decided to show kindness to him. And they fed him, they gave him something to drink and they even allowed him to use their cell phone so that he could call his mother in Russia to let her know that he was okay. So even in the midst of war, uh, the oppressed in this situation, speaking of the Ukrainians, are showing kindness to their enemies. And that is something to be celebrated. And at the same time, there are still factions of folks in the Ukraine um, who are displaying a heart that is opposite of that heart. Because I also saw pictures and videos of the Ukrainian people as Masses were fleeing, trying to get into Poland and other safe places as refugees. I, I also saw videos that broke my heart as it pertains to the Ukrainian authorities turning away African residents in the Ukraine who were trying to board uh, trains to leave, but they were turned away strictly because of the color of their skin. 
So even in the midst of a war against a mighty nation, the spirit of racism is still alive and well. Martin Luther King talked about three evils. The evils of militarism, the evil of poverty, and the evil of racism. And in the midst of a war that is making many people wealthy and a whole lot of other people poor, we're still seeing racism rise to the surface. If we ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. Because I'm thinking if I'm over there and I'm trying to flee, I might not be able to get out simply because I don't have white skin. And this is 2022 and it's still going on today. Abed Melech, who we just read about from Jeremiah 38, he was an Ethiopian eunuch. Abed literally means servant or slave. Melech means servant or slave of the king. And as we'll find out, he was a servant or a slave in the court of King Zedekiah. But when he had heard that Jeremiah, the Hebrew prophet, had not only been locked up and jailed, not only had he been beaten, but they had taken Jeremiah and put him in a muddy cistern and left him there to die. But when this Ethiopian, this Cushite, this African man heard about that, he went to the king. He took a risk and he used his privilege, his access and his power to, to, to stand in the gap for Jeremiah. When his own people had put him in that predicament, the Hebrews, this man took a risk. And risks are not easy because risks don't always work out. They, 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 they can be counterproductive. But if we risk well and if we risk long enough, risks have a way of producing rewards. And in this case, there was a reward. Jeremiah's life was saved. But as we're going to see in a moment, Jeremiah returned the favor, and he took a risk to give Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian a word from God that he needed in the midst of an invasion from the Chaldeans. So these two men are a pattern to us. They show us how to be friends. I think it was War who sings the song, Why Can't We Be Friends? So they show us how to take risks that lead to reward, to take risks that go across racial, cultural, even religious bounds to find reward. First thing I want you to see is that Jeremiah, that brother needed to be rescued. Look with me at verse one. It says, now Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Jedidaliah, the son of Pasher, Jukul, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, he who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence, but he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. 
His life shall be as a prize to him and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Verse four, therefore the princess said to the king, please let this man be put to death for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. Then Zedekiah the king said, look, he is in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah the king's son, which was in the court of the prison, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon, where there was no water but mire, so Jeremiah sank in the mire, and Jeremiah needed to be rescued. They left him there to, to die a slow death, a slow death of, asphyx asphyx uh, of asphyxiation. Pray for me. A slow death of hunger, a slow death of thirst, suffocation. They left God's man in the mud. He needed to be rescued. So the Bible lets us know that being a prophet is not an easy job because you have to say things that people need to hear even if they are not things they want to hear. And the Israelite people had a history of persecuting prophets whom God sent to call out their unbelief, to call out their disobedience. And rather than heeding the prophets, many times they hurt the prophets. Jeremiah was no different. You see, when God called this weeping prophet, this man who had such a tender spirit, God says, I got to make you like a bronze pillar because you're going to come against not only Judah, the southern kingdom, but you're going to speak to nations. And so I want your heart to be soft like flesh, but I want your forehead to be like flint because you're going to have to stand in the midst of some circumstances and say things that people don't want to hear, like the Babylonians are coming from the north. They're going to invade this place. They're going to pillage, burn down the temple, knock down the walls. And when he would speak these words, his people did not like that message. And they felt that he was a traitor committing treason because he went on to say in chapter 38 that you need to not only expect their coming, which you cannot stop, they're coming because of your disobedience, but you need to surrender to them and go over to their side and it will go better with you. So they said, now, wait a minute. You're telling us the enemy is coming and they're going to destroy this place. And then you're telling us to surrender to them. I know we can't really understand that, but let's try to put it in a modern day context. Let's think about what's going on in Ukraine right now. There's homes and neighborhoods, civilians are, are dying, bombs are exploding everywhere because of some madman who has a personal agenda to take back a country that is no longer in the federation with Russia. And he, he has this agenda. He, he's violent. He's evil. He's wicked. He's merciless. He's heartless. 
And these folks are standing up against him. But imagine if one of the Ukrainian pastors, maybe the most famous Ukrainian pastor that is there, what if he stood up and said to the Ukrainians, the Russians, thus saith the Lord, the Russians are going to succeed in taking our country. And I want to tell you, thus saith the Lord, to surrender to them. Lay down your arms and it'll go well with you. How do you think the people would respond to a message like that? They would probably do to that pastor what the Jews did to Jeremiah, and that is silence him and seek to kill him because that message does not coincide with what they think the will of God is. And that's exactly what they did to Jeremiah. They put him in the cistern. If you would show the slide that gives us an idea, the cartoon of this man being put into the cistern, slide four. So there he is. He, he's in this cistern. And they left him there alone to die. Now, before I move to the second point, I, I just need to ask, is there anyone sinking today? Is there anyone in a circumstance that someone else put you in? Someone else scandalized your name, sabotaged your future, and, and you find yourself in a muddy world of circumstances where the accusers operating under the spirit of the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself, who is also seated in heavenly places, the Bible says, that they are accusing you, coming against you, attacking you, and you find yourself sinking. And if you're not sinking that way, some of us are sinking emotionally. We're struggling. Discouragement. Depression whether spiritual or medical, where mental health is weak right now. We are sinking, sinking, sinking. Our days are melancholy. We're more down than we're up, and we're in the mire. I got good news for you. You're not the first person to be in a situation like that, whether literally or figuratively or spiritually. You see, Abed Melech is about to be a Christ figure. Because he's going to go and lift this Hebrew prophet up out of the mud. Because that's what Jesus does with us. One of the Psalms, I think it's verse, uh, Psalm 40, that talks about the Lord pulled me up out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and he established my going. So you can't sink Deep enough, low enough, where Jesus can't rescue you. So, so, so hang in there. He sees you. And he's coming to get you. And that's what Abed-Melech did for Jeremiah, which goes into the second point. Abed-Melech, the Ethiopian, rescued Jeremiah. I read those verses to you to open up the service. Jeremiah 38, verses 7 through 13 how he went to the king and the king gave him permission, not only gave him permission to go rescue Jeremiah, but also gave him 30 men to go with him. But before I go any further, I need to just ask a little bit more, who is Ebed-Melech, this rescuer, this Christ figure? Who is Ebed-Melech? Well, Ebed-Melech is a bad man. And I'm not talking about bad meaning bad. I'm talking about bad meaning good. Little Run DMC right there. Uh, uh, Ebed Melech, he was 
a servant in the king's court. Abed-Melech was a eunuch, which means he had been castrated. And usually kings would have men who were castrated working in their courts, especially around their harem of women and wives, because those men would not be a threat to the king as far as his wives are concerned. So they were eunuchs. Oh boy, let's see here. And not only was he a eunuch, we, we, we need to think about this because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 12, Jesus talks about eunuchs. Matthew 19, 12. And he says that some men are eunuchs because they're born that way. Some men are eunuchs, Jesus said, because other men make them that way. And then Jesus said some men are eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God, meaning that they're okay with their singleness and they choose to be uh, uh, sexually moral as opposed to sexually immoral, that they are under control, they are not having sex for the kingdom of God. So you have eunuchs who are born that way, who have been emasculated by others and others who've made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God. We don't know Abed-Melech's history or his situation, but it's possible and highly probable that he was made a eunuch by the Hebrew people. And he's working in the king's court as a eunuch. But what I love about this guy is that although, again, high probability, Hebrew people may have done this to him, he is not holding all Hebrew people accountable for what some did to him because he chooses to help a Hebrew man who is in a time of trouble. Let me pause right here and just say, some of us have indicted a whole race of people because of what a few did to us. And it keeps us from developing relationships and showing the kindness of Jesus who calls us to love our neighbor. And, and, and for black people I'm talking to, we, we have trouble loving white people because of what a white boss or a white teacher did to us. And I'm here to encourage you, man, have the heart of a Abedmelech and serve and love and participate in community with people of other ethnicities, especially those who are Caucasian. Uh, if you haven't turned the channel, let's keep on going here. This man, Abed-Melech, because I've been hurt by white people. As a black person, you can't live and not be hurt by white people. Because white people, for the most part in this country, have been, uh, found, find themselves in seats of power. And so many of us have been hurt simply by the color of our skin. So it's real. And if we're not careful, it leads to bitterness. But if we're followers of Yeshua, if we're followers of Jesus, he calls us to something higher. I'm going to share with you with the time I have left that blackness is a good thing. It's a biblical thing. God made us this way. But we have to always be careful to not allow our blackness to prioritize over the kingdom of God. Our blackness is a part of the kingdom of God. But there are messages, just as there are in the white community, there are streams of thought that want to uh, supersede the kingdom agenda of God. And it can even be dressed in religiosity and Bible verses 
but it's still coming from a spirit of white supremacy. So we all have to be discerning as we not only evaluate the world, but also examine ourselves. But this is why, as my brother prayed, the word is a two-edged sword. Because black folks, white folks, Baptists, Pentecostals, uh, 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 right wing, left wing, Republican, Democrat. Hey, if the word is preached well. So God wants us all to take inventory on where we are because he might be calling us to take some risks like Jeremiah and like Ebed Melech. Well, the term Ethiopian is found four times in chapter 38 and even over in chapter 39. So Abed-Melech is mentioned, I think, six times, and, and of those six times, four times, it's mentioned that he's an Ethiopian. Abed-Melech the Ethiopian, Abed-Melech the Ethiopian, over and over again. And whenever the Bible repeats itself, that is God's way of saying, stop, pause, and take note of that. Because God is thinking, man, y'all might have a short memory, so I got to keep reminding y'all that this is an African man working in a Hebrew Jewish court the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian. And I had to ask myself as I was studying the passage this week, Lord, why this emphasis? Why do you keep repeating this to us? Now, what I'm about to say to you, I couldn't find in any commentaries. Because most of the commentaries I read, unfortunately, most of my commentaries come from white theologians and white pastors. I'm building my repertoire of uh, commentaries from black writers, but there are not many out there. And racism has a lot to do with that. I'm not being a victim. I'm talking about real life victimization that occurs. And I can talk about that without being a victim. So I don't have as many black authors to look to, but many of the white commentaries speak of Ethiopians like Ibed Melech as if they are savages as if they are lost, that their black skin is a curse and on and on and on. So I said, God, no, nah, no, nah, What's going on here? And the Lord just whispered in my heart, and he said, uh, the reason why I repeat the fact that he's an Ethiopian over and over again, that he's an African, is because God is not ashamed of blackness. I know that don't hit you. I know it don't get you. But for some of us who our blackness has been suppressed under this thing called Christianity, which many times is like a white kind of a thing, if we celebrate, it's like, no, you're not supposed to do that because we're all from one race, the human race. Don't believe that. We're one people under God created through Adam. But this country has set up racism and divisions thereof to uh, uh, display power and, and lack of power to others simply based on ethnicity and the color of skin. So when you quote and all that, we're not... Uh, uh, we're, many races with one race. I'm dealing with discrimination at the bank. I'm dealing with discrimination over here. I'm dealing with discrimination over there. But God is not ashamed of blackness, which means I don't need to be ashamed of my blackness. I can say with James, not in the Bible, but brown, I'm black and I'm proud. I can say it. He made me this way and the emphasis is there to, to show again that he is not ashamed of blackness and neither should I be God is inclusive with blackness and black people as much as he's inclusive with all the nations and with women as well 
So when he emphasizes something, I have the ability to emphasize it as well, which is why in Jeremiah 13, 23, he says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? So God is saying, this beautiful skin, an Ethiopian can't change it. But I've got some people in my community who wish they did have the ability to change their skin so they could fit in and... And I struggle, you know, Candace Owens, somebody says she lives in Brentwood, uh, political pundit for Fox News, black girl, somebody says she lives in Brentwood. If she lives here, somebody invited to church here because she needs to know it's okay for you to be black. Uh, 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 oh boy, I'm in trouble and I'm running out of time, but I'm going to say it. Um, because a lot of black folks will mute their blackness in order to be accepted in white circles. <laughs> They'll mute it. They'll change it. They're black, but they sound like white folk when they talk. Okay? Don't, don't move your membership. Hold, hold on. <laughs> she sounds like Sean Hannity. She sounds like all these other pundits out here. But she fooled around and forgot she was black when the Super Bowl halftime happened. When Snoop Dogg was out there and Dr. Dre was out there and Mary J. Blige was out, she fooled around and said, oh, that was a good halftime show. <laughs> Forgot she was black. Because the white folk around her in those circles who their job is to put down anything that's not Republican, they had a problem with the show. But here Candace is saying, I like the show. You can't say that if you're going to roll in these circles. You must suppress your blackness at all times. Because all it proves is that they're using her and the Ben Carsons of the world. They're using them. Because the minute your blackness comes forth, they want to suppress your blackness and put you back into the conservative camp. Now, that's not for all Republicans. I'm painting with a broad brush, so forgive me. But you know what I'm saying is true. I just have the courage to say it. I just had the courage to say it. Always been house um, Negro. Uh, to get Jeremiah out of the mud, Ibed Melek, y'all, would have to get dirty. So, so, so to get this man out the mud, that, that means he's going to get some mud on him. And whenever we try to serve people who are in destitute situations, and this is a situation that Jeremiah didn't put himself in. A system put him in there. Because I know there are some folks who say, well, why can't they just pull themselves up by their own bootstraps? Well, sometimes people are in situations not just because of bad decisions they made, but they're in that situation because a system came against them and put them there. And usually it's working, you know, hand in hand. But a lot of times in this country of meritocracy, we just want to focus on, why can't you do better to have better? But you don't understand the, 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 the policies that are in place that keep me. So he's in the mud. Ebed Melek says, I'm going to help get him out. In order to get him out, though, he's going to get some mud on him. So if you're going to try to help people out of poverty, 
You're going to get some mud on you, and you should. It ought to be a kind of mud like when we play football, man, and, you know, we would come out of our uniforms and be crisp and clean. But then, you know, when the game was over, there's mud. You were proud of the mud on your uniform because it shows you were playing on the field. And as Christians, man, we should get muddy trying to help people who are in the mud. And that smell ought to make us encouraged in the kingdom of God. I remember one day there was a man we were serving and he smelled like urine and the Lord was saying, hug him. I said, wait a minute, God. He smells like urine. God says, hug him because to God, urine is perfume. You don't want to hear it. I needed that smell. I needed that man. I needed the dirt, if you will, that was on him to get on me. Because if I stay in an ivory palace somewhere and, and I don't come down or come over, what kind of Christianity do I have? He saved me to serve. He, he wants me to be with the last. He wants me to be with the left out. He wants me to be with the least. He wants me to be with the lost. Ibed Melik said, I could just keep my mouth shut. But I'm not going to let that innocent man die an unjust death. So I'll take a risk. I put my life on the line. I'll take 30 men, which means this black man had leadership qualities in him. This black man had ingenuity because he said, we're just not going to send a rope down there. Grab those rags and, and put them under your arms, Jeremiah, so that as we pull you out, the rope doesn't hurt you. But I got to tell you something about Jeremiah, though. In order for him to be rescued from that cistern, he had to submit to a black man and follow his instructions. I said he had to follow the instructions of an African man who was a servant or a slave in the court of the king. I've been doing this for a long time. You have people who just won't follow because they just don't follow nobody. They don't follow God and they show up by not following you. That's everybody, black, brown, everybody in between. But this thing that we're doing, this risk that we took to, to, to be in community in a multiracial church in the South, this risk that we took that has led to rewards, every now and then I get some white folk who can't take instruction from a black man. I'm okay being that preacher because it's entertaining and it's good. It's good to say, I have a black pastor. Uh, I have a black friend. But when that black pastor has to use the Bible to speak authoritatively into your life, many times they flee before we even have a chance to sit down and talk about what thus saith the Lord. Because they don't want me to be their pastor. But they want me to be their preacher as long as I don't preach on stuff that make them uncomfortable. But I'm so glad that God didn't call me to be popular. He called me to preach his word. And God put this mantle on me to lead in this context. And we can't make it. We're not after kumbaya in Strong Tower. Black guy, white guy standing, taking pictures and posing. We're going to keep it real and righteous up in here. And the reason why I got to preach this is because there are black people wondering, is this stuff about Jesus for real? Or is it just the white man's religion? But wait a minute, that brother's telling the truth and, and he's not afraid to lovingly speak the truth 
But following is something else. God is calling some of you to this church. And this may be the first time you've ever submitted yourself to a person of color or a black man. It's a risk, I know. But there's a reward. Because they'll talk about you. But you're with God. You're with God's people. And for such a time as this, he's calling you to this house under this leadership. Take the risk. You've never done it before. You don't see it a lot, but take the risk. I'm just letting you know the Holy Ghost is in this house. I said the Holy Ghost is in this house. I said the Holy Ghost is in this house. It's different, but different ain't bad. It's just different. Because covering, I know the, the men and women, they're talking about covering in the marriage class. Who you come under, the covering you come under is essential to the trajectory of your flourishing in life. You got to come under right covering. So Jeremiah gets rescued, thank God, by this black man. If I had time, I preached my third point, my third point if I had time. It's that Jeremiah rescued Abed-Melech over in chapter 39. If I had time. While Jeremiah was in prison, because when they pulled him up out the well, y'all, they put him, he was still in prison. He just wasn't in the mud no more. And Jeremiah would stay in prison until the Babylonians invaded Judah. And the Babylonians would come and treat Jeremiah better than how his own people treated him. But while he's in jail, God gave Jeremiah a word to give to Ebed-Melech, the man who took a risk, who put his life on the line. And here's the word in chapter 39. It talks about how the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, go and tell Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian. We get it. But again, I have to press this point because there are some publishers who will try to whiten this brother up because he did something positive. But I need to let you know he's an African, baby. Uh, go tell this man that the people you fear, you don't have to be afraid of. He, who was he afraid of? The Babylonians. Who was he afraid of? The Jewish people who locked Jeremiah up. My man was afraid, but God says, Jeremiah, go tell him, don't be afraid. Why? Because I am going to deliver him. I'm going to keep him. I'm going to protect him. Why? Because he honored me. He served me. He took a risk to, to save the prophet, the man of God. And God says, I'm going to reciprocate because as he empowered you, you are going to empower him. So this ain't one-sided white saviorism where white folks do all the helping, but they don't need no help. No, no, not around here. And this ain't black separatism where you ain't got nothing to do with white folk. No, not around here. Because these two guys empowered each other. One got him out of a miry play, uh, a clay, and the other one got him out of a miry place of fear. And he went to that man and spoke a word, said, man, God got your back. That's how the kingdom is supposed to work. And these two men show us not only what the kingdom looks like across races and nationalities, but it shows us that you can be a Christ figure 
Because Abed-Melech was a Christ figure and Jeremiah was a Christ figure. And the question is, what about us? When your opportunity presents itself to go and speak a word of life to somebody, to go and get muddy, helping somebody else out of the mud. Uh, when the opportunity presents itself, man, take it. Don't overanalyze it and get the paralysis of analysis. No, don't. Come on, serve, love, give, show up, be present, touch, hug, heal, speak life. And watch God get back to you more than you can ever give because that's the kingdom. Because when you do it to the least of thee, Jesus said, you're doing it to me. What good is a Christianity that doesn't find itself empowering others? What good is a Christianity that is not in the gutter sometimes, helping those who are in the gutter? What good is a Christianity that stays in buildings but never touches the world? Not around here. Not around here. Father, we thank you for these two men. God, what a great example they are. I'm so glad, Lord, over the years, you have blessed me with so many men outside of my ethnic group who have been life to me and love to me. I've seen Jesus in them. I've heard Jesus in them. I've felt Jesus in them. And I'm so glad, Lord, I didn't stay, quote, unquote, comfortable with my own kind only. But you're calling us together. I thank you, God. And I think there are a few who can testify that I've been a blessing in their lives, that you've used me to help open up their eyes and their ears and even their worlds so that together we can experience the kingdom of God in its fullness. And Father, in Ukraine right now, I, I not only pray for the Ukrainians to rise up in that this small people will be able to endure and even win against this bigger villain. But also, Lord, I pray that you confront them about ways in which they have not shown humanity to people of color, to black people, to Africans. I pray that they would be convicted of that, that it would be about saving lives not just about saving Ukrainian lives. And I pray here in our own hometown that, Lord, we would be about the ministry of serving and ministering to lives, not putting people down for where they are, but loving them where they are. Lord, we have an opportunity this week to feed some people who are hungry. Lord, we talked about how there are going to be some kids next week during spring break when we're going over to Florida or going over to Georgia or doing whatever we're going to do. There are going to be some kids wondering where their next meal is going to come from. I thank you, Lord, that in a small way we can do something big to make sure food gets into the hands of people who are in food deserts and people who are struggling. Lord, gas prices are so high there are people trying to choose between gas or groceries. But, Lord, you blessed us to be a blessing, and, and you have a way of multiplying whatever we give you. So, Daddy, help us reach folk, Lord God, in your name and with your love so they can know that there is a God out there. Bless this house to be a blessing. We promise to give you all the glory, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus.